Hello. Greetings. We're very glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you're doing well, and we're very glad for your interest in spiritual things. My name's Ethan, I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, in verse 16, uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We, this is many times called the Great Commission. Jesus is telling his disciples what they're supposed to do. And it's important to note that he tells them to go. They're to go out into the world, and they're going to make disciples. They make disciples by baptizing and by teaching. And this is a commission that continues on through the ages, that people may hear the Lord Jesus. So how are we supposed to do this in the 21st century? Well, a lot of people uh, consider the model like we see in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, where John, the Baptist, points out to Andrew um, that Jesus, that he is a lamb of the world, uh, to be slain for the the sins of the world. And Andrew goes to follow him. And... Andrew goes to Simon Peter and says, We have found the Messiah. And Simon goes along with Andrew. Later on, uh, Jesus goes to Galilee, finds Philip, and tells Philip to follow him. And Philip then goes to Nathanael and says, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathanael also saw and believed. And so in both of these situations, we have two people who, when they hear of Jesus, immediately go and find somebody that they love deeply, a brother or a friend. And they bring them, and they say, hey, come and see. So in that sense, they do go. They do go to their brother, they go to their friend, and they but they say, come and see. Um, so you go to them, but the majority of the work of conversion is done in the encountering of the Lord Jesus. Simon Peter didn't necessarily believe Andrew, because Andrew said it. He believed it when he saw what Jesus did. Nathaniel certainly uh, doubted. Can any good thing come from Nazareth, he asks, but believes when he sees what Jesus is able to do. And the work of converting is done through the encountering of the Lord Jesus in the proclamation of an instruction in his word. That's what we have today. We bring people to Jesus when we bring them to the message of the gospel that we can read about in scripture. And this is the authority that we have for inviting people to an assembly of the saints, or also to a Bible study. In in terms of Bible study, a very interesting example in Acts chapter 19, and in verse 8. In 19, verse 8, where Luke tells us that Paul entered the synagogue in Ephesus, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 
So Paul has been preaching about Jesus in the synagogue for a while, but then he begins being maligned, so he moves over and starts meeting what's the hall, or the Greek word, skola, of Tyrannus. And there he proclaimed the gospel so that it went out through all Asia. Now Asia is not the whole continent, it's a province in uh, what we call Asia Minor today, in Turkey. Now Tyrannus Hall, a skola, is a school. And the idea is not that he goes in the middle of the school day, and, and talks about Jesus, although that's possible. But what probably happened was uh, all, most Greek schools, the Scola, uh, closed in the middle of the day in the heat of the day. And uh, they did not have, uh, weren't meeting at that time. So Paul either rented it or was granted the use of that area as a gathering place to preach and teach the Word of God uh, when school was not in session. <clears throat> and so there we have an apostolic example of a way that we can teach people. So from what we've seen in Matthew 28, and here in Acts chapter 19, is that we are to go and teach. That, that instruction can and should be done in public spaces, or spaces otherwise used for other purposes. And to this end, i like to spend some time exploring the idea of promoting the gospel through community Bible studies. Now, community Bible study is a Bible study that's designed to provide an opportunity to welcome members of our community into an agreed-upon safe space to learn more about the Bible and Christianity through a Bible study. Now, that's a mouthful and worth saying again. So, a community Bible study, it's a Bible study that's designed to provide an opportunity to welcome members of the community into an agreed-upon safe place to learn more about the Bible and Christianity. So let's look at some of the, the elements of, of what we're saying here to make clear what we're talking about. First of all, community. Community can mean a lot of things dependent upon the environment. For instance, sometimes we talk about our community, and we may use a huge metropolitan area or a rural region. Uh, sometimes we even use it bigger than that to talk about a whole uh, tribe of people, race of people, nation of people uh, as well. On a medium scale, we might think of a community as a collection of urban neighborhoods or a suburban region. Maybe the west suburbs or uh, a few neighborhoods put together. Um, here in Los Angeles, the west side. Uh, smaller scale would be a specific neighborhood, a specific suburb, or sub-segment of a suburb, a specific rural village, town, or township, or maybe even a college campus. So when we're talking about a community Bible study, it technically could be any level of those, but you're going to have more success when you can keep it on the medium to smaller scale, where people can come to it easily and feel as if it's part of their community. Something that may seem strange is the idea of an agreed-upon safe space. Because I think a lot of people who are already Christians recognize the importance of Bible study. I mean, a lot of churches have Bible study before they have their assembly. Uh, in Acts 2.42, the Christians, when they uh, heard the word of the Lord from Peter and they became Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, in some sense, they devote themselves to learning about the truths taught by the apostles. And that normally is done in some kind of study environment. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, that we must uh, be diligent to show ourselves approved workmen of no need to be ashamed uh, because we are handling or rightly the word of truth. To do that, you need to devote some time to it. Likewise, 
A lot of Christians understand that people need to come to a knowledge of the truth to be saved. In John 8, verse 32, Romans 10, 17, and that Bible study is certainly an approved way of doing so. And in fact, a very commendable way uh, to, for people to, to read for themselves and to see uh, from the Word of God what God has said. Uh, not just believing something because the guy with him has said it. Um, so yes, Bible study has a very important place, but it seems kind of strange to a lot of Christians that you need to go out into an agreed-upon safe space to do that. What's wrong with the assembly Bible study? Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 23-26, uh, Paul, in talking about the fact that in all the things going on in Corinth, that an unbeliever or outsider who comes in may, based upon their conduct, think they're completely bat-crazy, or think that God is really among them. Which shows that there are times where unbelievers or uninitiates will be in the assembly. Which means that if you can get somebody who is not a Christian to come to an assembly Bible study, enter the church building or that facility you're using, uh, and to go through that whole process, uh, and they come to knowledge of truth and are saved and become part of the body of Christ, excellent. That's absolutely wonderful, and that's certainly commendable, and there's no difficulty with that at all. But what about the people who may not feel comfortable visiting the assembly and its Bible studies? Well, why would that be? Well, Let's think about what people might be thinking. Some people have a lot of baggage in terms of church. They had some pretty bad experiences when they were a kid, maybe. Or maybe they saw how other people got burned because of church experiences, and they don't feel comfortable meeting in a church environment. A lot of people already have a church affiliation. And so uh, they are going to go to their church affiliation of choice, but they may well be interested in studying the Bible and additional opportunities. Maybe they don't get as many additional opportunities. Maybe the church they're going to doesn't offer a lot of Bible study, and that presents an opportunity to uh, proclaim the Word. Uh, many may not even be aware of the church building or what's being offered there. We think a lot of times that we're communicating clearly about who we are and what we're doing, but it may not be that clear to some people. Likewise, some people might just prefer to study together in a public place. And we really need to think about this not in our own terms, because we're used to ourselves, but in terms of what we're going to call the outsider, a person who is maybe interested in learning more about Jesus and, and what happens when he has that desire. We as Christians often believe that we have good intentions and want to be of service. And I'm not going to doubt the sincerity of those motivations. But the outsider doesn't know that and is not going to assume that. They don't know what you're, uh, what you're going to be uh, thinking. They don't know what you're going to be expecting. They don't know. They may have very, very negative views and think that you're looking out for something that you're not looking for, or that you're going to treat them badly. They may assume that. They may not know at all. They, again, you can't not necessarily know what they're thinking. Uh, but we need to remember that as much as we might think it's open to everybody, the church building is our space as Christians. That's, quote-unquote, our turf. And we might invite people, and some people may feel comfortable entering that turf. Some people might prove willing to enter that turf while being uncomfortable about it. But to a lot of people, that may seem very confining, very aggressive uh, at first, because they don't know any better, anybody, excuse me, they don't know what's going on, they don't know what's expected, they, they're really afraid they're going to be brought into something that they're 
they're, they're going to have more demand of them that they're really comfortable doing. Uh, they might feel, they're worried about feeling violated in some way. And again, you might think, this is ridiculous. This would never happen. And it may never happen. But they don't know that yet. Likewise, we know each other. They don't know anybody. And that may be a cause of concern as well. So it's daunting for a lot of people to visit a church building for a lot of reasons. Uh, out of their comfort zones, and, you know, what they expected of them, how they're going to be treated, and things like that. And there's also this thing that happens with a lot of people, where they've heard this idea, whether in culture or from people in churches, that a, san- a church building or an or auditorium is a sanctuary. And that it is a sacred space. And and as a response to that, they may not feel comfortable being in what they think is a sacred space because they uh, perceive their own uh, unholiness, because they are concerned about violating codes or they're concerned about in some way profaning uh, the spot or saying something profane. Uh, so th- they may not want to really interact in that environment. I remember in one congregation with which I worked, uh, one of the members just you know would not speak when it, we had a Bible class in the auditorium. If we had the same class in a back classroom, he would be more than willing and comfortable to speak. He should not feel comfortable speaking up in the auditorium because he felt it was a holy place. And there's a lot of people like that. And uh, especially if you've got people who have a lot of baggage already, uh, they may not think that they are worthy of entering the assembly. And again, that might seem crazy to you. Because you understand what Christianity teaches about, that God wants people to come to Him, and, and all of that. And, and that's certainly understandable, but we, we can't just uh, allow that distance to and, and the idea that it seems strange to us uh, mean that we just dismiss it out of hand, because there are people who really feel that way. There are people who really have that concern. And it takes a, some time to kind of help them f- feel more comfortable in that environment. Now, the reason we bring all these complications up and difficulties up is not to say that it's a completely hopeless project. Of course, many people will feel comfortable visiting an assembly. Maybe you can talk to somebody that you know, and they'll feel more comfortable visiting an assembly. What about if you're trying to get people who know, who have no direct connection to anybody yet to come? Well, if you'd say that you're going to have a Bible study at the local coffee shop or the local diner, it automatically breaks down some of these barriers because an outsider can feel more safe and relaxed, partially because it's not your turf anymore. It's a public area that's open to anybody. There will be other people that will be there uh, that are watching, perhaps, or looking at what's going on, so uh, they're not expecting anything crazy to happen. Uh, They could leave any time. They may not do so, hopefully they don't do so, but they know they have an option. If they don't like something, they stand up and walk out, and they under- clearly understand what the exit is. Uh, they're not going to be approached necessarily. Uh, they feel a lot more comfortable that way. So, in that sense, the environment will not feel as daunting. And that's why there is value in establishing an agreed-upon safe place, where, where everybody can feel comfortable in the environment, uh, where we, we can get past some of these apprehensions uh, and get right into understanding what the Bible is saying and allow the Word to do its work to help them understand that some of the apprehensions are not as big of a deal as they were thinking, uh, that they can come to knowledge of truth and be saved and then join with the saints in the assembly. So that's why it's a community Bible study and agreed upon safe space. Now, why community? 
why should it be a community study? Because isn't it our goal to have one-on-one studies with people? And again, we always ought to be looking for opportunity to set up one-on-one Bible studies. But almost in any situation, if you're going to get that study, it's because some sort of relationship has been already established to gain trust. Now, yeah, there might be a few people, and you could just call up Colacon and say, would you like to get together and study the Bible one-on-one? And they may say yes. There are a few people who might do that. But that's going to be the vast minority. Um, Especially in terms of community outreach, it's better to find a venue where people can learn about Scripture together. And if there's an individual in the group who looks like they need more instruction or want more instruction, you can certainly suggest a one-on-one study with such a person. Because, again, it's not really about us and our thinking. It's about what the people we're talking to are thinking. And if you think that visiting assembly is daunting, well, what about a one-on-one Bible study? There's nobody else to answer questions. All focus is directed at you. If there's any uncomfortable, awkward questions asked, you're going to have to try to figure out an answer. And that's just requiring a lot of capital of trust that you probably haven't worked up to yet. Now, when you work up to that level of trust, it may go a lot better. Um, And it's a lot easier to tolerate that scrutiny when that relationship's been built up. So, community Bible study allows the idea that, well, there'll be other people there so that we can all do it together, and people feel more comfortable in that group setting. We also need to remember, of course, in John 17, 20-23, that Jesus prayed that we may be one as the Father and the Son are one, that we may be one with them, that they abide in in us and we in them, Uh, that God is one in relational unity and seeks relationship with his people and wishes for his people to seek relationship among one another. So in that sense, community Bible study just kind of flows out of the nature of who God is and and how we've been made in, in his image, That the things that we're kind of looking for. And beyond any of that, there's a reason we come together, after all, as New Assembly Bible Studies. Uh, it's an opportunity to learn together, to learn about the substance of scriptures and different ways of encouraging or approaching group study, uh, and things like that. Likewise, it, community Bible studies easily justify their existence. There might be some people who wonder about your motives when you want to do a one-on-one study. What are you trying to accomplish? What do you want from me? If somebody's at wondering that, it's probably not a good thing. But just, you know, deciding to meet at Starbucks and or Coffee Bean or, or your local, uh, local uh, neighborhood community coffee shop to talk about the Gospel of John or about Romans or about uh, salvation in Scripture, whatever th- theme or topic you want, uh, makes sense to people. And it may facilitate a bit more of an open door and expression of interest than you might get otherwise. Now, you should do these studies in a time convenient for others. Weeknight and evenings present a good opportunity, although you keep in mind there are some people who have uh, open time during the day as well. An hour is a great length for a study like that. It there provides enough substance to make it worth your while, but not so long as it discourages interest and participation. And whatever we study should have spiritual profit for those participating. This is where it's important to remember the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 and Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 that uh, he watered, he planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Our purpose is to spread the seed of the gospel and to teach the word and then to let the word do its work. Let the gospel do its work. God will give the increase. 
Um, so prospective participants must be able to feel that they can trust the biblical knowledge and strength of interpretation of the group. That these people are serious about the Bible, they know what they're talking about. I can, I can learn. I can, and not just that you can learn, but also that you can participate. Um, we. In especially in Long Church of Christ, I think it intuitive to have all such studies begin with the plan of salvation, the things of the church, and things like that. Uh, and perhaps there are times for that kind of study, but we need to first earn the trust of the people we're working with, that we're not just trying to sell them something like the Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or another group, that know that we're serious about the Bible, that we understand what is... Uh, revealed in scripture to a decent degree and we're just trying to encourage people in it and when they see that you're serious about that uh, maybe they'll be willing to look at some of the things that are more controversial and give you more credence than they would otherwise unless of course we're just trying to argue with people and then of course you know, all bets are off to that end gospels are great subject matter uh, other books in the New Testament as well uh, topical studies can be profitable, but you got to exercise caution about making sure that you don't go down too many rabbit holes and uh, it doesn't become a pretext for something else. And uh, there's a big one about eschatological studies. Um, the end of time, Daniel, Revelation, uh, that requires a lot of ground rules and the establishment of a lot of trust before you explore in any depth. And that's what everybody kind of wants to start with. But good Bible students understand that you have to end with Revelation, just as the Bible ends with it. Otherwise, everything that you're going to believe is going to be distorted. That, in fact, the book is where it is for a good reason. Now, it's very useful to have opportunities in these studies as well. Uh, for participants, ask questions they may have on spiritual topics. Again, this may, for some people, seem intuitive, but it's not intuitive at all in the religious world. There are a lot of people with a lot of questions out there, and at times they may have tried to approach what they believed were spiritual or religious authorities, and they were shut down. That questions were not to be asked, that it was a lack of faith, uh, that uh, who are you to question what we're saying, and things of that nature. Unfortunately, even among the Lord's people, too. But if we're going to create a community Bible study environment, where people can feel free to learn about Scripture and to trust. One of the things that does a great job of building trust is the willingness and openness to handle whatever questions are being asked and to take them seriously and try to answer them as effectively uh, as we can. Now, you've got to be careful. And if there's one person who has constant questions all the time, that's a great opportunity to take that person, hey, you know, Jimmy, you got a lot of questions, and, and that's great. How about we uh, start meeting uh, at Wednesdays at 7 or Thursdays at 2 and talk a, a little bit more about some of your questions? That's a great opportunity to set up a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. Um, but just even offering an opportunity to ask questions. Some, a lot of times people will say, oh, I don't have any questions there. And that may mean they actually don't have questions, or I haven't decided to put enough trust in you yet to ask you questions. Um, but even just by offering it shows that the openness, and, and maybe they might start testing it themselves to see how serious you are about it, or they'll see somebody else ask the question, how it's handled, and that may be what really opens the door to making that study really effective uh, with the group of people with whom you're studying. And it's a good barometer as well for that reason. The more confident people are in the study, the more likely questions will be asked. It's not always the case, but it's very frequently the case. Now, 
if there's going to be questions, you got to be ready to answer. First Peter 3.15. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there are times where you might get a question that you just don't have an answer to. And the best thing to do in those circumstances is not try to bluster, uh, but to be honest, you know, hey, that's a great question, and at this time, I don't feel prepared enough or able to, to give you an answer. I'm going to do some research. I'm going to uh, talk to some people uh, that I trust their biblical knowledge about, and uh, hey, if you come back next week, I'll, make, I'll definitely make sure to have an answer for you. Which also provides a great opportunity for them to come the next week. And it also provides an opportunity if I visit a return, gives them a incentive to, and there's some humility established. That you're not there to try to feed them a line. That if you don't know, you're going to be honest about it. And that, that goes a long way with a lot of people. And again, yes, one hour a week uh, is a good time. Try to keep it as consistent as possible in terms of location and in terms of... Uh, a time, uh, have that open period, and depending on where you're at, you probably don't want to make it much bigger than five to seven people. Uh, beyond that, people are, are not really engaged, and it's time to kind of grow out more Bible studies, uh, which is a great problem to have. So there's a lot of value in community Bible studies, uh, and, and that's kind of the way that they can often work. Now, how do you promote them? How can you get them to be something? Well, uh, you, Christians can tell their family and friends, neighbors, associates, even enemies about it. Uh, you can have them say, hey, you looking for a Bible study? We're doing a Bible study over at uh, the little coffee shop on uh, Tuesdays at 6. In a sense, the study is self-promoting. Because if you're having a study in uh, a restaurant or in a coffee shop, as people go by, uh, you know, people hear things. And maybe they have an issue in the Bible. And they're hearing that you're talking about the Bible. And they say, hey, you guys talk about the Bible? What are you talking about? Well, actually, we're having a Bible study. And you're welcome to join us. So in that sense, even the fact that you're having it in the public place allows it to be something that people can be attracted to. Um, there's also a big one that a lot of Christians use, and that was meetup.com. Uh, Meetup encourages face-to-face -face community, and a lot of the people who join Meetup are interested in the Bible study in their area. And when you let people know about Bible studies in the community by Meetup, uh, you can get a lot of community members visiting your Bible study whom you otherwise would not see. Uh, I can attest uh, for our experience in Los Angeles that we've seen many dozens of people that otherwise would have no connections to at various Bible studies at various times because of Meetup. And uh, that's been a wonderful opportunity to reach uh, people in an area where uh, we have 18 million people in the whole metropolitan LA area. Uh, there's probably a half a million in the general area where the church is, is located. Uh, it's a lot of people to try to, to try to connect to. And so having these opportunities uh, are wonderful, and we we're very thankful for them. You can also have a website. That's a good way of promoting it. Facebook page, a Google Plus page. Google Plus page mostly because uh, Google Plus uh, pages uh, help promote it on Google. And since Google is the largest search engine, uh, it's always good to have a strong presence and uh, the heart of the biggest search engine on the Internet. Uh, also, a Twitter feed can be used. And, and the great things about these options, like a Facebook page or website especially, uh, is that you can distribute material. So if you have been studying a topic uh, with our college Bible study, we've done what we call recaps. And so we'll, when we talk about a certain part of a study, we'll then have an article about it that we'll send out that can provide encouragement edification. If you are 
uh, teaching through material. You can post the material. Uh, you can post photos and things of that nature with people's permission so people can see, hey, this is a thing, this is happening, this is not crazy, uh, and that you know they're studying the Bible together. And all those things can work well together um, to kind of provide legitimacy and to show that uh, you're serious about what you're doing. Uh, you can also... Uh, have handouts and flyers to be made up and distributed, and you can have table evangelism events where you set up a table in a public place, you can uh, set them up in front of uh, courthouses or at uh, your tri-post office or department motor vehicles, however uh, there's that free and open space, and you can be promoting the Bible study and encouraging people to come and learn more about Scripture together. So community Bible studies represent a great opportunity to proclaim and advance the Gospel in our communities. It's a safe place to come and learn about the Bible Christianity, and you may receive interest from people that you might not otherwise hear from, which is a great thing. But they're only effective when they are staffed well. It's a it's a struggle sometimes. The groups tend to start out sluggishly before they gain critical mass, and if you start with a good core group of Christians, uh, you can really alleviate that. Uh, when there's a lot of regular Christians uh, at a study, uh, people feel more comfortable than if it's just a you know religious professional. It seems more artificial that way. And community Bible studies also go best when they are embraced, encouraged, and supported by the membership of a congregation. Now, there are some things that are necessary, some money some for buying Bibles for people who may not have Bibles. Uh, paying for meetup, there is a fee associated with meetup. Uh, but a lot of the support that's necessary is time and energy. Uh, you, as a Christian, can sit in a coffee shop with an open Bible and study with others. And it can become a great and encouraging experience, and you can strengthen your own faith as you participate in the study. And that's why it's important for us to recognize the value of promoting the gospel through community Bible studies. And let's get to work doing so. Again, thankful that you've spent some time with us. you got some questions about community Bible study. Maybe you'd like to join one uh, in your area. Maybe you'd like to talk more about the Bible, Jesus, maybe a prayer request. If there's any way that I can be of service, please let me know. Uh, check us, check me out online and visit, contact me through deverovita.com. That's www.deverovita.com. If you live on the west side of Los Angeles... Check out westsidebiblestudies.com. Westsidebiblestudies.com. We're also on Meetup and Twitter and Google Plus and Facebook. And we are meeting here on the west side of Los Angeles. We'd love to get to see you at one of our studies. And that is a work of the Venice Church of Christ. And you can learn more about us at venicechurchofchrist.org and its related social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.